0: Well, good morning Canyon Hills and welcome everyone to our live stream service this morning as we start a brand new series based off of the Old Testament prophet by the name of Elisha. My name is Matt and I'm one of the adult pastors here at Canyon Hills Fringe Church. And I truly believe that for most of you, the next four weeks are going to be a defining moment in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And the reason I believe this is because our goal and our vision and passion for this series is that you would allow the teachings of God to not only instill in you and build in you, but grow in you a ridiculous kind of faith. Now, most of you might be sitting there saying, ridiculous kind of faith. I don't want a ridiculous faith. That ridiculous word seems like a bad word. It's silly. It's outlandish. But the irony of this is in the generation that I grew up in, ridiculous was actually a good word. And we actually see this take place a lot of times in our English language, where a word can mean something specific to some people and then have a completely different interpretation or definition to other people as well. I think of the word bad, for instance, growing up, bad to me used to meant something that wasn't good. It was bad. It wasn't right. But in today's generation, our kids today, the word bad, it actually means something that's good. That's bad in a good sense. I don't understand it. Same thing is true with the word sick, right? We used to say sick. It was a bad thing. If somebody threw up on you, it was because they were sick. They weren't feeling well. It was once again, a bad connotation to it. But in today's generation, our kids, our, our young, youthful people are saying, dude, that's sick. As in, it's a really, really good thing. I just don't understand it. Same thing is true with the word ridiculous, where it used to mean outlandish. It now is almost a shout of jubilation or of excitement, right? If you enjoy the cake you're eating, it's ridiculously good. Or as some kids might say, it's redonkulous, right? But nevertheless, what my goal this morning is, is simply to walk you through what this really looks like. To take a look at the life of the Old Testament prophet Elisha and see how his calling from God led to him having a ridiculous kind of faith. And it's amazing the story that we're going to be reading from the book of 1 Kings this morning. Now, I know that some of you may be confused because Elisha sounds very similar to another major prophet in the Old Testament times by the name of Elijah with a J, but don't get them confused. Elijah was a major prophet. He was bold. He was courageous. He was daring. He was full of faith. And Elisha with an S studied underneath him. And Elisha said, I want to be just like Elisha. I want to be bold. I want to be courageous, but I don't just want to be full of faith. I want to have a ridiculous amount of faith in the good sense. And so he prayed and he asked God for a double portion of the anointing that fell upon Elijah. And he got it. And he became one of the prophets in the Old Testament who did more miracles than anybody else with the exception of Jesus himself. And the interesting thing to note about Elisha is that he was just an ordinary guy. He was just like you and me. He had an ordinary job. He worked on a farm. He was plowing the fields. He lived with his parents. He was a regular person. He wasn't the son of a priest. He wasn't some big shot, some spiritual giant. He wasn't a monk or anything like this. He was a normal person. And yet God still used him to do some amazing things through his life, through the calling of his life and allowed him to have this ridiculous kind of faith. See, Elisha, he prophesied and he lived during the ninth century BC. And during this time, there was great political turmoil and the land was actually divided. There were two different beliefs of faith. Either you believed in God, the father, or you believed in this false deity, this false God by the name of Baal. And God saw this and he saw his people starting to pull away from him. And what he decided to do was to send these prophets into the land, into the cities, into the streets, the marketplaces, the hills on the roads to help steer his people back to him at whatever it would take, through miracles, through prophecies, through healings, whatever it would take, God would equip them to be able to do these things and bring his people back to living and understanding him. And this is exactly where Elisha found himself. And so this morning we're going to be reading from the book of first Kings chapter 19. And so before we get there, I just want to say, if you're at home right now, I encourage you just to get up and go and get your Bible because it's so easy for us during this time of our lives as we're quarantined in our homes to be reliant upon technology where we just say, Oh, I don't need my Bible because it's going to appear on the screen right in front of me. But I truly believe in the deepest part of my heart's, that there's no greater way for us to spend our Sunday mornings together as families, as individuals, than being centered in the physical, living, breathing word of God. And so I encourage you, if you haven't already, just grab your Bible, bring it together, gather your family around the Bible, and join us together as we read through 1 Kings chapter 19, starting with verse 19. And it starts by saying this, So Elijah with a J went from there and found Elisha with an S, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elisha went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied, What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Wow, this is the beginning of a ridiculous story. More specifically, it's the beginning of a ridiculous calling in the life of Elisha. Crazy story. Let's, let's look at it for just a second. Elisha is out in the fields. And it says here that he is plowing in the fields. He's got this 12 yoke of oxen. He himself is working behind the 12th pair. And it's so easy for us just to be like, yeah, that's cool. He was a farmer and we move on, but we miss out on what's really happening here. And so I want us to picture this for just a moment. You see, this was his livelihood. This is what he did every single day of his life. When the sun would come up, he would go out to the fields and start plowing until the sun went down. The next day, he'd do the same thing over and over and over again. It was this continuous monotonous cycle that he lived in. But not just that, put yourself in his sandals. Think about that. As he's plowing the fields, what is it that he's smelling? He's got all the dirt that's being kicked up as his plow moves through the field, right? And not only that, he's traveling behind 12 yoke of oxen, which means there's all this oxen poop everywhere on the ground. And it's not in just one little spot, it's everywhere. So he's stepping in it. It's going up in the air. It's getting on his clothes. It's embedded in his nostrils. And no matter how hard he scrubs, he can't get rid of that smell. It's almost like it's become his permanent cologne. See, nobody wants to have to do that every single day of their life. Not only that, think about his hands as he's pushing the plow through the field. His muscles are probably sore and tense and tight. His hands are probably sweaty and calloused or maybe bruised and bleeding from pushing against the grain as it's trying to dig through the earth. Think about what he's looking at, his sight. It's not lush green mountains and valleys It's a field, it's a dirt field. And where his eyes are focused, right on the plow down below, right above his eyesight. Do you know what he sees every single day without fail? Oxen butt, oxen rears, oxen tails. That's what he looks at every single day of his life. It's just this routine cycle over and over and over and over again. See, I think many of us can relate to Elisha in this story. Maybe we're not plowing the fields, but we know what it's like to be in this cycle, just to do the same thing over and over again, to live the monotony, the routine cycle of life that just never seems to end. No matter what you do, you just can't break free from this cycle that you feel like you're caught in. You don't know how to respond to it. You don't know what to do with this. Think about it. You're tired of doing the same job, You're tired of making the same phone calls. You're tired of Zooming with the same staff and the same coworkers. You're tired of looking at oxen rear all day long. Now, I'm not saying that your coworkers are oxen rears. Don't go out and call them that. They probably won't respond very well to that, but you get the idea. If you're a salesperson, you pick up the phone when you wake up in the morning and you start your sales or you're online trying to get your sales and you've got a quota that you have to meet and you work hard all day long to reach that quota. And then what happens once you reach it? You feel good about yourself. You met your deadline. You go to bed and then you wake up the next morning. And what happens? Your quota starts all over again. Or if you're a student, what does your life look like right now? You get up, you go online, you take your classes, you do some homework, do study, you try to go to work so that way you can get money to pay for your bills. Then you go to bed and what happens? You get up the next day, you go online to do your studies and learn, then you do your homework and then you go to your job in order to pay for bills. It's this cycle that goes on and on and on again. Or if you're a parent, for those of us who are parents, what is our monotonous routine cycle look like? It's diapers, feeding, burping, laundry. Diapers, feeding, burping, laundry. Diapers, feeding, burping, crying, laundry. It's the same thing over and over and over again. And it's so easy for us to lose our passion. It's so easy for us to lose our purpose when it feels like we're just staring at oxen all day long. We're just staring at oxen tail, oxen rear every single day of our life. And this is exactly where Elisha found himself but I want you to notice something. No matter how monotonous this was, no matter how routine this was for him, he remained faithful to the task at hand. Even though it wasn't some big grand thing that he had to do, he remained faithful in the midst of it. And I truly believe that God loves to bless those who are faithful with the little things in life. Because if you're faithful in the little things, God can entrust you with great things, with big things. And that's exactly what we see happen in this story. If we continue on looking at the next part in verse 19, it's this crazy analogy that we see here. It says this, Elijah, now remember this is this great man that Elisha looked up to. Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him. That's it. That's the story that we read, right? This had to have been a very interesting story because Elisha is just out there plowing the fields. He sees Elisha, his hero, the person he looks up to coming up to him. And as he's plowing, Elijah just walks up, throws his coat on him and walks away. That's the end of the story. And once again, it's so easy for us just to gloss over this without really unpacking what that meant. You see, the cloak was probably some kind of coat made of animal skin or animal fur. And it was his covering. It was his mantle. And so by him placing the coat on Elisha, it was symbolically saying that mantle, which I was under is now going to be over you. That which protected me, that which guided me will now protect and guide you. I will be your teacher. You will be my student. And what God has begun to do and work in my life, he's now going to begin and do the work through you. It was a passing of the baton. And it was so powerful this moment, and it's so easy for us just to gloss straight by it. Because this was Elisha's calling without ever a word being spoken. Now, before we go any further to finish the story, I think there's two life principles, there's two things that we can learn from the story. Because this had to have been an incredible scene. I mean, Elisha's probably very confused. His mentor just threw a coke on him, a cloak on him, and walked away. He had to have been confused on what it meant, what was going on, but how he responded tells us a lot about how we should respond to the calling of God. And I really believe that this is important for us specifically right now with the pandemic we face and what maybe God might be calling you to, or God may be telling you through the midst of your situation. The first lesson we learn is so important. It's so crazy. It's so powerful is this. You don't have to understand fully To obey immediately. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. It just means God is doing things in this world. God is doing things in your life. And just because he's doing things doesn't mean that we're going to understand it. There's a lot of chaos that exists around us that we have no idea what's going on, but it doesn't mean that we should stop being faithful to God. Even though it looks like God may not be here to some people, we know that our God is alive, that he's living, that he's breathing, that he's got his power invested in us and in this world. And we have to hold on to that just because we can't see what's going on. Just because we don't understand what's happening doesn't mean that we should stop being obedient and stop obeying. I mean, look at this. If we read in this story, we continue to understand that Elisha, he puts this cloak around Elisha, right? He puts his cloak on him and he keeps walking away. And Elisha goes running after Elijah. He catches up to him and says, hey, hang on just a minute. Let me go back and say goodbye to mom and dad. And then I'm all yours. See, he didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to pray about it. He didn't have to make a pros and cons list. He didn't have to seek some counselor or some wise help or talk to his mom and dad. He responded immediately. He didn't know what was going on. He didn't have all the details. All he knew was Elijah just put a cloak on him and he responded. Because for Elisha, what was going through his mind was this. If God is in this, I'm all in. That's all I need. That's all I need. I may not have all the details, but if I know that God is somewhere in the midst, that's good enough for me. That's good enough for me to respond and to follow obediently, no matter what it costs. Now, if I could take a brief rabbit trail real quick and apply this in our own lives and to the context of leadership, because I think a lot of us have leadership power. We have our social circles. We have influence in the people around us. And there's something really important. I think we need to learn from this situation, specifically from how Elisha responded. You know, so many of us are worried about the future. What's gonna happen in the next year, two years, three years? What our life's gonna look like because maybe we're unemployed, maybe we're sick, maybe we're fighting with our families, whatever it may be, we're panicked about the future. And I used to love getting asked that question. People would ask me all the time, Matt, what's your three-year plan? What's your five-year plan? What does the future look like for Matt? And I love that because I'm an analytic person. I love planning things out. I love being in this administrative role. I like being organized and seeing everything chronologically out. But I realize that my answer has changed over the past couple of years, more specifically over the past couple of months. And the reason why it's changed is because our world is changing. Every single day, our world is changing. And I don't feel that I can adequately prepare five years from now, let alone even a year from now. Because God is always moving, God is always doing incredible things. And so what I've decided to do, instead of planning for three years or five years out, I simply have decided to plan to respond to the present, to plan to respond to the present. What that means is I don't wanna get so focused on what I want to achieve, what I want to accomplish that I miss out on what it is that maybe God is calling me to, what it is that maybe God is trying to show me in the midst of my situation, in the midst of my circumstance, in the midst of the pandemic that exists around me. I wanna be able to have a ridiculous faith just like Elisha did, where I can say, God, I am all in. I don't know the details. I don't know what's going on. But if you are in it, I want to be in it. I want to be sold in it because there's no way that I could ever possibly anticipate or guess what you're going to do or the opportunities that you're gonna place in front of me. And I don't wanna miss out on those. Then I don't know for those of you who maybe needed to hear that today, We may be worrying right now about what the year looks like with finances and health and all these things. But I think it's so important for us to understand the response of Elisha here. Elisha wasn't planning for the future. He was responding to the moment. God is doing something in your life right here, right now. And he's calling you to respond to it. Not to worry about the details, not to worry about what's going to happen as a result of it, but to respond and to be obedient, to have faith. You don't have to understand fully in order to obey immediately. It's so powerful when we truly start to look at this story and really understand what's happening here. And I believe with all of my heart that if we place ourselves in a place of spiritual readiness, we're going to be open to the idea of responding when God calls us to putting aside whatever plans we may have and being willing to be open and obedient to what it is that God is trying to lay in front of us, even if we don't have all the details. See, Because the ironic part is this, God rarely ever gives us all the details. That's not how he works. Not at all. I think that we, as a people, we love details and it bugs us to no end when we don't know his plan, when we don't know what's going on, when we can't see the purpose behind something. And we cry out all the time to God, God, why is this happening to me? God, why do I feel like every relationship I try, it just fails? God, why am I struggling in my marriage? God, why are all of these terrible things happening to me right here, right now? And I think God looks at us and he says, I'm not gonna give you all the details. Because if I did, you wouldn't be able to handle it. If I truly told you everything that was going to happen, you wouldn't show up right here, right now. You would wait till the good part comes along. He says, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to show you the next step. I'm going to show you what to do right here, right now in the present. And if you do this, if you trust me, if you be obedient in this, I'll get you to the next step and I'll get you to the next step. Start worrying about tomorrow because tomorrow is going to worry in and of itself. Focus on today. Move through today. Trust me today. Give me your burdens, your worries, your fears, your anxieties. Lay them on me today, and I will get you through it till tomorrow. And then we'll go from there. It's so incredible when we truly understand this because I think that God, he doesn't give us all the details, but he still does give us something. He gives us a word to go off of. And there's really power in this. I truly believe that sometimes a word is all that God gives us, but it has to be enough for us to go on. For some of us, God has been speaking into our lives through the midst of this pandemic. And yeah, we've got our worries and our fears, but I think that we have something in our life that we feel that we're being called to, that we hear the voice of God, this one word that kind of brings us a sense of peace. And I don't know what that word is. Maybe that word is different for each and every one of you. Maybe in the context of your marriage right now, you're really realizing that this whole vow thing about for better or worse is a legit vow. And you're struggling to remain married. You're getting to really know the person you married because you're home all the time with them. It's not just a, hey, I'm going to go to work and come back and eat dinner and go to bed where we only see each other for four or five hours. You're stuck 24 hours a day with this person. And maybe it's a struggle. Maybe you're fighting more. You're arguing more. Maybe you feel like I'm going to go and sleep in the other room. I'm going to go and file for divorce. But in the midst of this, somewhere deep inside of you, you hear this word, stay. You don't know what it means. You don't know why you're being called to it but you can't shake this word, stay. And that's God speaking to you. He's saying, trust me, stay, and it will be okay. And that one word has to be enough for us to go on. We won't have all the details. We won't understand what it means, but it has to be enough for us to remain obedient to God. Maybe it's with health. Right now, we're all panicked. We're all worried. We're all afraid of getting sick, of our loved ones getting sick, of how long this quarantine's going to last, of going out in public. We're so afraid that it's crippling us. It's filling us with anxiety and we have these panic attacks. But maybe in the midst of this, God is saying, trust, trust. It's the only word that you get, but it has to be enough. Because if we learn to trust God in this moment, he's going to bring a peace that surpasses understanding a calmness and a stillness to our heart that overwhelms any fear, doubt, worry, or anxiety, but we have to be willing to trust. Or maybe at this time you've got a business idea or a ministry idea or a book that you want to write and you don't have all the details. You don't know, how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to find the time for this? Who's going to read it? Who's going to invest in this business? How am I going to start this? You don't have all the details, but maybe you hear the word start. And it's confusing because how can you start? But God is saying, start, trust me with this step and I'll take you to the next step. And then the next one and the next one. Or maybe this whole relationship with God thing. You've been struggling for a while. Yeah, I go to church, I do all those things, but it's just this monotonous cycle. Going to church is like looking at oxen rear all day long. It's just the same thing over and over and over again. And I'm tired of it but maybe there's something in your heart that's been stirring you to something greater. And you hear this word from God, commit. You don't know what that means. You don't know what that looks like, especially now because you can't even get to the church in person, but you hear the word commit, commit to me. And that has to be enough for us to go on. See, it's not just in our own lives. We even see this all throughout scripture as well. In the Old Testament, when Moses, when the burning bush, right? He had these doubts, these fears. He was giving excuses, but God gave him one word. And what was that word? Go. It says, go, free my people. Abraham, in the Old Testament, again, he was doing these great, amazing things. And he hears this word from God. And the word was, go, go to the land that I will show you. It was a command. It was, if you do this one thing, if you have faith in this one word, I will take you the rest of the way. In the New Testament, we see Peter, right? He's in the boat. He sees Jesus walking on the water towards him, thinks this is ridiculous. This guy who's out there is walking on water. Jesus, if that's you, call out to me and I will come. And Jesus doesn't give this long definition example. Hey, you know, slowly put one foot over and then put your other foot over and start to stand like a toddler learning to walk for the first time and then slowly move your way towards me without ever breaking eye contact. No, he simply uses one word and that word was come. And that word was enough. What happened? Peter immediately jumped out of the boat and went towards Jesus. You see folks, for some of you, you're going to have at some point in your life, one word that's going to call you to do something, to take action, to have a ridiculous kind of faith. And we may not have all the details. We may not have all the answers. We may not understand, but it has to be enough for us to go on. That's the first lesson we learned. The second lesson we learned before we wrap all of this up is also very important. It's this, that those that God uses the most are those who hold on to the least. Those that God chooses to use the most are those who hold on to the least. Look at this. And we continue in the story in verse 21. Look what Elisha does. He says, so Elisha left him and went back and he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. That is ridiculous. That is an escalation of events if I've ever heard one before, right? He's out there. He's got this cloak on. He sees Elijah and he says, hey, I'm going to follow you. Just wait a second. I'll be right back. He goes running back, sees his ox, pulls out his switchblades and just starts slicing and dicing, right? And there's just all this ox, this cow meat just laying everywhere. He looks over, sees his plow and says, hey, I'm going to take that, break it apart and burn it. I've got a burning pile of wood. I've got meat, let's make a bonfire and I'm going to cook some steak for my buddies. This is what he does. This is a ridiculous scene, right? God is calling him to be a prophet. God is calling him to follow after this prophet to do amazing things. And what does he do? What is his ridiculous act of faith? He kills the cows and burns the plows. He kills the cows and burns the plows. Now we understand the whole killing the cow part because that's biblical in the Old Testament times. As God would move and do things, people would typically offer a sacrifice up to God. So we could understand the cow thing, but burning the plows, that's just ridiculous. That's over the top. That's like saying, I'm getting rid of plan B. There is no plan B. All that there is, is plan A and plan A is God. Cause God, if you're in it, there's nothing else that I want to be doing. I can't imagine that, especially as a dad. I think about if my son, Oliver, when he grows up, ever came home and said, hey dad, I was praying with God and I've decided I'm gonna quit my job, I'm gonna leave school, I'm gonna sell all my possessions, move out of the house and live on the streets because that's where God is calling me to be. I'm gonna look at him and say, Oliver, I am so proud of your faith. I'm so excited about how connected you are with God, but let's just pause for a minute. Let's just really think through what you're about to do. Maybe there are some other options we could explore. Let's not get rid of everything and take such drastic measures. See, I think a lot of us have this same kind of response. We look at Elisha and say, why? Why would you burn the cows? Why would you burn the plows, kill the cows, do all of these things? See, what we need to know is this. In scripture and even in our lives, There are going to be times when God calls us, when God speaks to us, and it's going to cause us to do ridiculous things. It's going to cause us to really do ridiculous things because it's us saying, God, we trust you in this. God, I trust you with this. There is nothing else that I want to do. I'm totally sold. I'm totally in it. I'm all about it just for you. I want to have a ridiculous kind of faith and follow after you. We also see this once again, scripturally. I mean, our first encounter with Peter and Jesus in Luke 5, Peter's out fishing, right? He's having a terrible fishing day. Things are going the worst they could ever possibly be. This is his livelihood. He's not catching anything. It's a bad day. And all of a sudden Jesus appears on the shore and says, hey, Cast your net on the other side. Peter looks at him and says, who are you, right? You're not a fisherman. You don't look like a fisherman. What do you know about this? Why should I trust you? And Jesus says, cast your net on the other side. Peter does. And what happens? His nets overfill with fish. To the breaking point, he's got to call other ships in to help him carry this. And as he looks done, Jesus calls out and says, hey, I'm proud of you. But guess what? If you follow me, I will make you something greater than just a fisherman. I will make you a fisher of men. And how does Peter respond? He sails back to the shore. And what does it say in Luke five? He does. He leaves behind his boat, his fish and follows after Jesus. He just had the most amazing catch of his life, his livelihood, more money than he could probably ever could possibly imagine was sitting in his nets. And he walked away from it all to follow God. And we see that true of the disciples as well. Scripture says the disciples, they left everything to follow Jesus. Put that in the context of your own life, leaving your homes, your families, your friends, your jobs, your safety, your security to follow after Jesus. That is a ridiculous kind of faith, but that's the faith that God is calling us to. He says, I want you to be all in because if you're all in with me, I'm going to be all in with you. And I want to do great things through you, but you have to be willing to let go. You have to be willing to kill the cows and burn the plows. Now, before we go any further, I just wanna have a little caveat and say, make sure if you are going to make this step, that you know it's really a calling from God. Oops, my earpiece falls down, that's awesome. And make sure that it's really a calling from God. I don't want you to think, man, I hate my job. And so I'm going to go into work and I'm going to say, I hate all of you. I hate this job. Peace out. I quit. Go outside and burn the building down. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Make sure that you know it's a call from God. And what that means is if you have something that's in your heart that you can't shake, a feeling that you just can't get rid of, a thought that's in your head that you can't move past, that you know that you know God is calling you to something, that's when we respond. That's when we take action. That's when we take that step of faith. And it's hard because it's gonna entail maybe burning some bridges. Maybe it's gonna entail walking away from some things that we're holding onto dearly in our life. But the point that we're really starting to look at is this, you can't go back because God is calling you forward. He's saying, I don't want you to be half in it. I don't want you to say, I'm still gonna hold on to this stuff as a backup plan in case you fail me, God. He says, you're in it or you're not. You're either gonna have the mentality of kill the cows and burn the plows Or you're not. Where is your faith? Where is your trust? I want you to be all in, And if you're in with me, once again, I'm going to be in with you. And he wants to lead you to some amazing and some great things in your life. The question is, are you willing to have that kind of faith? The kind of faith that says, yes, God, I'm going to kill the cows and I'm going to burn the plows. Whatever that means, I'm going to let go of this sin. I'm going to let go of this fear. I'm going to let go of this doubt. Whatever it is that's holding me back from responding to what it is that you're calling me to, I'm going to let it go because I'm placing my trust in you. I'm placing my value in you. And I realize I don't need this other stuff. One of the blessings of this whole pandemic in quarantine is I'm finally realizing that my true value, my investment is not in material things in possessions because they fade, they wither. My investment is in my family. My investment is in my faith and I can really start to grow as a person and find my true purpose in being a man, being a woman, being a child of God rather than climbing the corporate ladder at my job. I'm finally happy for the first time in my life, because I'm all in. I'm ready to have that kind of faith where I burn the plow and I kill the cow. And that's difficult for a lot of us because in order for us to step into our destiny, it means that we have to let go of our security. We have to sometimes let go of the things that we hold on to the most. I think of a child with a little blankie, right? It's their comfort. It's their safety net. It's what they hold on to the most because it's what protects us. As growing up as a child, I didn't just have a blankie. I also had a doggie and my doggie went with me everywhere that I would go because where I went, if doggie was with me, I felt secure. I felt safe. I felt protected. I had my buddy who would watch out with me. There was just a comfort that came over me that I couldn't explain. But as I grew up, what I realized is that if I really wanted to become the person that God had called me to be, I needed to let go of doggy. I needed to step away from my blanket, from my comfort and start relying on God to fill that spot. God to fill that position, for God to be my support, my strength, my comfort, my passion, every desire of my heart. And so I put Doggy behind me. Now I didn't burn Doggy. I still have Doggy to this day, but I knowingly and willingly left Doggy behind so I could follow God and what he was calling me to. And he has led me through some amazing adventures and some amazing journeys in my life. And he wants to do the same thing through you. He wants to be able to instill in you a ridiculous kind of faith. He's saying, look, right here, right now, where you're at, maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're filled with fear or worry or doubt, anxiety. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you're losing your health. Whatever it is, trust me in this moment. Trust me in this moment. Give me your faith. Give me everything that's weighing you down and I will show you the next step. I will help you through to tomorrow, to the next day. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. And if you're willing to let go of whatever it is you're holding on to, God's gonna use it in such a big way. The question is, are you ready to have the kind of ridiculous faith that says, I want to kill the cow and burn the plows? How will you respond? to what it is that God is calling you to do today. Would you pray with me? Father, once again, we are, God, we are just so humbled. God, we are so delighted just to be your children. God, we live in such a terrible, turbulent time right now. God, our hearts are wrecked. Our hearts are hurting. But God, I pray that you just steer us back to you. God, that we wouldn't be so focused on the things of this world, but instead that we would just run to you. God, we would say, I'm ready. I'm tired of living the monotonous circle of life. I'm tired of staring at oxen rear all day long. Father, I'm ready for something greater. I'm ready for something more exciting in my life. God, I want to have the kind of ridiculous faith that allows me to, to kill the cows and burn the plows. And maybe you've got that word that God has been calling on your heart. God, I I pray that for everybody who has that word, Father, they would listen to it. They would heed it. Father, they would take it into their lives and say, God, I don't understand what this means, but I'm gonna trust you in this moment with it because I know that you're gonna see me through till tomorrow. You're gonna see me through to the other side. God, we love you so much. And God, we pray that you just continue to strengthen our faith, to have a faith like Elisha, where we say, God, I don't know what's going on, but if you're in it, I'm all in. We love you, God. We pray this in your name, amen.